It was July of 1961, and 38 members of the Green Bay Packers football team were gathered together for the first time at training camp. The previous season had ended with a heartbreaking defeat, and when the Packers squandered their late lead in the fourth quarter and lost the NFL championship to the Philadelphia Eagles. The Green Bay Packers had been thinking about this brutal loss for the entire offseason, and now, finally at training camp, they had arrived, and it was time to get to work. The players were eager to advance their game to the next level and start working on the details that would help them win the championship. Their coach was Vince Lombardi, and he had a really different idea. In his best-selling book, uh, When Pride Still Mattered, The the Life of Vince Lombardi, author David Morenis explains what happened when Lombardi walked into the training camp that summer of 1961. He took nothing for granted. He began uh, starting from scratch and assuming that the players were blank, blank slates who were carried who carried over no knowledge from the previous year he began with the most um, elemental statement of all gentlemen he said holding up a pigskin in his right hand this is a football lombardi who was who was who was coaching a group of 3 dozen professional athletes who just months prior had come within minutes of winning their biggest prize their sport could offer and yet he started from the very fundamentals of beginning Lombardi's methodical coverage of the fundamentals continued throughout the training camp, and each player reviewed how to block and tackle. They opened the playbook and started from page one, and at some point, Max McGee, the Packers Pro Bowl receiver, joked, "Uh, Coach, uh, could you slow down a little? And you're you're going too fast for us. Lombardi reportedly cracked a smile but continued his obsession with basics, basics all the time. His team would become the best in the league and the tasks everyone else would take for granted. Six months later, the Green Bay Packers beat the New York Giants 37-0 to to win the NFL championship. And on, on the 1961 season was the beginning of Vince Lombardi's reign as one of the greatest football coaches of all time. He would never lose the playoffs again. Let's focus on the point with even greater precision. This morning, as we're now about a week and a half into school, the very heartbeat of our administrative team is to bring our faculty and staff and students back to the basics. We're not taking for granted this incredible opportunity for kids to be once again in chairs in front of us for the moment, mask-free, and we can look at their smiling faces and engage with them personally. This year is all about fundamentals, back to basics, and all I wanted to do this morning was to invite you into that journey with me and walk with me on these thoughts. Let's focus on the point of of basics with even greater precision from what really matters. Um, And we'll call him Coach Luke this morning, Dr. Luke, as he recalls a moment of impact watching his teacher, Jesus Christ. I begin to you from this, this morning from Luke 10, the 25th verse. Luke tells us there was a lawyer who stood up to point out to test Jesus. Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, what's written in the law? And by the way, I think I've mentioned this before when I'm up here before, but I love it. Jesus was the greatest. No matter what he would have done, no matter what he was about, he was the greatest. And he was the greatest teacher ever to have walked the planet. He's the embodiment of everything we want to be as educators. And Jesus begins responding with a question, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And the lawyer answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and to love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus looked at him and he said to him, and you have answered correctly, do this and you will live. 
Notice the beautiful simplicity of the encounter. Notice the restraint of Jesus. Notice the, face, the basics of the fundamentals and the focus and the precision of his words and his thoughts. The very first encouragement is they were to love the Lord with all of our mind. I want to share with you and encourage, there are amazing Christian schools all over the city. And this morning I get to stand up as a representative of the power of Christian education, no matter how it's expressed all over our city and our country and our world. But there is life-changing power in a Christ-centered school. And this morning, as I share of those convictions, I also want to encourage you, those that are parents and grandparents, aunts and uncles, to embrace the opportunity, to embrace the principles of Christian education, invite them into your homes and invite them into your, in, into your families. Christ-centered, powerful education is a school, but here I'm more broadly to share the life-changing principles this morning. One of the amazing things that happens every day at a Christian school is that we're coming at it and looking at Jesus from the angle of history, from the angle of math, from the angle of science, from the angle of literature, and then when they're out on the football field, they're hearing the convictions of their coaches and their volleyball coaches and cheer coaches, and you get to look at Christ almost as if the angels are surrounded that we're celebrating the book of Isaiah, they're, they're, they're circling our Lord even as we speak, proclaiming of the Lord's holiness. They've been doing it for all eternity, and each time as they circle our Lord, they see a different angle of our Lord and they're proclaiming his holiness in much the same way the Christian school the Christian family the follower of Christ we look at our Lord each Sunday morning each classroom each time around the dinner an intimate time with our children and look at our Lord from a slightly different angle and proclaim him and learn to love our Lord with all of our heart mind soul and strength our focus every day at school is to prepare each student for an abundant life through a daily encounter with God's truth now, I hope as I begin this morning, one of the themes that you walk away with and is convicted within your heart is the, is the power of life. Jesus says, do this and you will live. Please hear again and again and again this morning the power of life. Do this and you will live, Jesus say. Life. Our passion at Phoenix Christian and every other Christian school is to help students launch life. And pursue the immeasurable abundance. The truths that Jesus promised us in John 10.10 to give us an abundant life. Not marked by material wealth. But by the abundance and depth of life that comes when you walk intimately with the Lord. Abundance of Christ. Jesus came to guide us, to teach us, and to redeem our life. His words, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. With all your soul with all your strength, with all your mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Beautiful simplicity, a beautiful reminder for us this morning. And I want to spend the rest of my time unpacking and thinking and providing an opportunity for application as we embrace the teachings of the greatest teacher ever to walk our planet. The greatest teacher here is speaking here to our hearts, our souls, our bodies, our minds, our relationships. He came to redeem all of us. The truth is that there's a supernatural battle out before each one of you to destroy our hearts, our souls, our bodies, our mind, and our strength. There is a unique, hidden, and wicked battle to destroy the hearts and minds and souls, strength, the relationships 
of our youth. We see it even in a Christian school. I don't care what Christian school. Every honest administrator and teacher standing before you this morning would tell you the same thing. There is a dark undercurrent as we step into the lives of youth operating through their cell phones and technology and culture and all that they have access to. And there's a profound spiritual war pursuing their hearts, souls, body, mind, relationships, all of it to destroy it. There's not time this morning to explore how this battle is being waged specifically in our culture in matters relating to gender identity and to racism. Rather, this morning, I want to be absolutely clear, it's enough to say there is an intense battle. Just because we don't see it or sense it directly, I think only underscores the intensity and the wickedness and the strategy of the dark one. Rather, it's enough to say here this morning there's an intense battle over the definition of the very nature of our youth, the very definition of the nature of you and I, and our schools and our colleges are the chief battlegrounds for these wars being waged right now. We need Christian education in our culture. Please make no mistake about it, there is no other solution for our broken planet than the church. And week after week, the church gathers in this locker room, hearing to the beautiful simplicity, the encouragement, and the teaching of others to then go out into our worlds and make a difference. And this morning, I'm here to share of hope. I'm here to share of light and the radical transformation that God desires internally from the inside out for you and for me. Now, this morning, I want to be absolutely clear um, that all good teachers have been taught by even better teachers. And they celebrate that. And this morning, what's really, I've got it right here dead in front of me as the scriptures in a little book by Dallas Willard, um, and the particularly in the second chapter of Renovation of the Heart, some of you may have read it, is going to be very helpful for me in my framework and guiding you through some thoughts this morning, and I want to give full credit and respect for that. In fact, I want to begin with a quote from Dallas Willard. He, he writes, It is the academic today that governs the idea systems of our world and opposes the traditional views of human nature, and specifically the, the Judeo-Christian or the biblical understanding of the human life. Academics... Our colleges, our universities, our schools are the chief battleground where a lot of these ideologies are being fought. There's an academic and cultural assault on anything that confines any kind of definition of human reality and human understandings of human nature. For the church to be so bold to speak into our culture, to say there are certain definitions of the way the scriptures define the very nature of who we are as human beings is be, to be viewed by the secular culture as an assault, too confining, too restrictive, and they will push and they will battle against us. And I think it's helpful here to remember that the battle is not against flesh and blood, but is against powers and principalities, and this morning I'm here to speak to those. And we turn to the highest source of human knowledge of, of Scripture. Once again, I want to read to you from Proverbs 20, the 25th chapter of Proverbs, verse 28. A man without self-control is like a city broken and left without walls. A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. 
two words I want to focus just just touch on in that, in that scripture is this notion of self-control. And as you think of self-control, our minds perhaps will drift to the, to the fifth chapter of Galatians where Paul is teaching on this concept of the fruits of the Spirit. And I've got fruit here this morning to demonstrate the point. And I want to hold it up and I want you... There's a pineapple. And I wasn't sure when I picked it out yesterday at Walmart if it was ripe or not. Now my wife will be in second service and she's going to help me get that figured out. But listen to the teachings of Paul as it relates to the fruits of the Spirit. Listen to Paul's contrast of this concept of self-control. He says, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, anger, self-ambition, dissension, division, and even drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like this. Paul writes, let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And the the point I want to emphasize here is that for this fruit to ripen, it takes time. And as I share my heart and my convictions this morning, I'd love this, this visual to run parallel in the back of your mind that all of us, the pursuit of the Holy Spirit is it was bearing fruit and fruit takes time to ripen. And in many ways this morning, what I want to speak to you on is this principle of the ripening of the fruit and to pull back the curtain and examine what the Lord's doing within us as he continues to ripen the spiritual fruits in our life. In particular one, as an example, would be the fruit of the spirit of self-control. Paul writes, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives, love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things, he writes, Our heart, our spirit, our will, the core of who we are, are somewhat synonymous. And really, this is the heartbeat of really what I want to share this morning. When you take terms like will, that center part of who we are, the initiating part of who we are, we serve infants at our school and to watch the little guys on the playground making decisions and you can see their wills begin to make choices in their mind. It is painfully clear when you work with young people for a career, and even, heavens, when we study ourselves, our wanters are broken. My wanter is broken. And what the Lord is pursuing here is is the growing and speaking to the wanter, the will, the self-initiating part, the center of who we are. Another word that's been shared here is spirit, the supernatural dimension that you and I have been given separate from all physical realities, but a, but a clear part of who we are as followers of Christ, we recognize the supernatural and our heart, the will, the spirit, the heart, the center of who we are. At Phoenix Christian, our specific mission, as it's stated, is to educate the minds, form the hearts, and equip the hands of students in a Christ-centered environment. As a church, this morning, we gather in this locker room. The building is not the church. We are the church. We gather to remind each other the truths of Scripture. As a church, we gather to remind and encourage each other to embrace the supernatural reality, to come together and admit and celebrate to one another there is more than just the physical. 
We gather this morning as a people who believe in the powerful role of the church. This is God's solution to our broken world. You and I and the church, the local church here, the global church, it is on the move. We are the solution, driven by the power of the Holy Spirit and his word. And this morning we come together and we gather together and we sing and we worship and we remind each other in the words of scripture in the radical opportunity for you and I for internal transformation, that it's ongoing. Sometimes we don't even know it, but he is ripening fruit in our lives through circumstance, through the moving of the Holy Spirit, and we gather this morning to celebrate it. This morning, as bleak as it is and as dark as it is for our youth, there is hope for our youth, for you and I. There is hope for all of us. He came not simply to save our souls. Jesus Christ did not come simply to save our souls, but he came to save all of who we are. And this morning, as I continue on here, I'm going to begin providing some building blocks of thought and then culminate with with one concluding concept as I wrap. He came to save our thought life. Images, concepts, judgments, inferences, our mind, he came to save it. Our feelings, the sensations, the emotions, those, the depth of who we are, the anger and the joy, he came to save it. Choices. In fact, if you're taking notes here this morning and, and want to walk with me through this framework of thought, I encourage you to write these concepts down. Thoughts, our feelings, our choices, let me speak to choices just for a minute. minute. The will, the decisions, the center character of who we are. Jesus came also to save our body, our physical body. It's the place where we are obviously able to manifest the inward realities into actions, interactions with our physical world. Jesus came to save the social dimension of who we are. He came to save and redeem our relationships, our personal and our social interactions. Jesus fundamentally came to save our soul, but he did not stop there. And when I speak of soul, I want to clearly define that this morning, what I mean by that. It is the integrating agent of all that we are, an external sort of membrane into our reality that is permeable. Things can enter into our soul, and our soul can be strengthened in the name of the Holy Spirit to keep certain unhealthy agents out. It It is the soul that interacts with the supernatural realm. We have somewhat limited knowledge of what the supernatural realm contains, but we do know that there's powers of great light and hope through God Almighty, but we also know that there are evil supernatural forces at work in our world, and our soul is that agent that touches with that reality. Take a moment with me this morning and reflect and embrace on the supernatural pursuit of God to save every part of who you are, to save every part of our youth and our lives. The truth is, all of us this morning are in a process of being conformed to the image of Christ, ideally. The Spirit is at work producing fruit in our life, and all of us are in the process. It takes time, it takes energy, it takes commitment, it is a journey, it is a process of being conformed, and I use that word intentionally, It's something supernaturally happening upon us, too. And by gathering this morning, we embrace spiritual disciplines to open up a greater receptivity of our soul to allow the working of the Holy Spirit. 
when we tithe, when we memorize scripture, when we sing, when we memorize his word, all of those are spiritual disciplines to embrace the process of allowing the spirit to conform us. Or the sad reality is many are often drifting away from the likeness of Christ and they're being conformed in the opposite direction. The truth is it's either moving in one direction or the other. And this morning as followers of Christ, we gather to submit to that and to become people living in that conviction to share that kind of light in our world. Journey with me to the 16th chapter of Psalm, verses 7 and 9. And here, as I read the scriptures, the different dimensions of what we're touching on, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night and also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he's at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh dwells secure. Listen to the psalmist having a conversation with himself and with his Lord and Savior. Listen to the different manifestations, the different elements and parts of the human makeup. He makes a choice to set the Lord before himself. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. My life first is Romans 8, 6. When you set your life and your mind upon the spirit, you find life. And when you set your flesh upon the, when you set your spirit upon the flesh, you find death. It's almost like back in the day when we used to have to tune the frequency of the radio on our car, on our television set. We set, there's an intention, I'm going to learn to set my mind upon the spirit. The psalmist here is doing that. He's making a choice internally to set his mind upon the ways of God. You also hear in this, and that's involved, that engages the choice, the center part of who he is, that decision maker, his wanter. I'm choosing, I'm going to set the Lord before me. Then you hear him engage his mind. There's a determination to bless the Lord. He makes a choice. Regardless of my circumstance, I will bless the Lord. Dallas Willard would often remind his students to learn to live where they worship and worship where they live. To live where they worship and worship where they live. Regardless of life's circumstances, to be a people No matter what, we're worshiping the Lord and the worshiping is such a crucial part of the DNA of who we are internally. He writes also, I will not be shaken. He will not be governed by the social dynamics around him. He is firmly rooted. The social constructs around him aren't his defining element. Rather, he's choosing to set his mind on the Lord. He's making a determination to focus on these things. And therefore he writes. Again, notice the, this internal movement from within him. It goes from his will to his mind to his emotions to his body. He says, my flesh dwells secure. He is a man at peace. And then listen to what he writes about his soul. My whole being rejoices. There is hope for our youth. There is hope for you and I. Jesus came not simply to save our souls, but he came to save every dimension of who we are as human beings, all of who we are, our thoughts. And again, let me drill down even a little further on these fundamental elements here, our thoughts, our capacity to think or imagine beyond the physical reality. My son Landon, even yesterday in the car, he has a million questions about any given thing all the time, and it's a little exhausting. He's going to be in second service. I can say that now. 
but his little mind is able to take him from his little body to all these different realms and things I never even have questioned. And the Lord has given him this remarkable ability our capacity to think or imagine beyond the physical reality, to explore relationships, to figure out how to get tourists up in outer space and back. It enables, and here's the, here's the idea, we're able to explore relationships with concepts. It enables our will, our mind enables our will to range far beyond we could ever dream or imagine on a Sunday morning to be transported thousands of years ago to the stories of the Old Testament. Our minds reach into the depths of the universe, past and present and future, and through reason and through science. This is one of the incredible gifts of Christian education, to take in a class and say, here's what man says, here's what God says, and then you stand back and you let the kids discuss and explore and think and let them be open and wrestle with it. And the teacher, the living epistle, as Paul encourages us to be, the living curriculum in the room, guiding and helping and facilitating the conversation. And that isn't just restricted to Christian education, but it's also an opportunity for moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas and aunts and uncles as we, as we meet with our young people. Let me touch on feelings for a moment. Our feelings. God came to save our feelings. That was what governed us. Just in the last two days, I've seen two incidents of road rage. Expletives flying back and forth. Windows down. Fingers out the window. Screeching of brakes. We're so governed by our feelings. The internal push toward and away. Internal colors and within us of pleasure or pain. It's a way of evaluating food and friends and relationship and and many other things. And notice, too, is, is this internal dimension of the way the Lord's created us with our, with our mind and with our will and with our feelings. I used to love to ask the kids when I was teaching, I said, think, I love um, to go fishing and to go out on the lake up in the White Mountains and it's, it's a glass and you wade out in the middle of it with your fly rod and you cast and you watch it and you wait for the fish to hit. All this is unfolding and then the sun starts to come up. What is a more pure fact? Is the sun rising or is the earth revolving around the sun? And I used to love to ask kids that. And what I love about that, that illustration is there's this beautiful interplay between the feelings that the sunset, the sunrise, it looks as though the Lord painted that whole moment just for me. And he's saying something to me and it's pregnant with emotion and, and pleasure and the Lord's celebrating. But there's also this, this idea in my mind, I know intuitively or I know academically that the earth is really revolving around the sun. But it's this, this interplay between our feelings and our thought. And sometimes our feelings can get us into deep trouble. Dallas Willard would often remind his students that a mind is a, is a fearful wilderness. The Lord came to speak to the internal dimensions of who we are. The will. The Lord came to speak to the center, our spirit, our heart, where we express freedom and creativity. The Lord put us in a garden. The Lord gave us a tree, so don't eat from that. But in that process, there's there's a choice. The Lord values that dimension. Our inner yes or no. The power to do good or evil. It is inherently ours. It is a gift that we've been given. We can think about sin in our mind, but that's not a sin. You can think about temptation, but that's not a sin. Temptation is the, is the inclination then to embrace it with our will and want it. 
And our journey as human beings is learning, is learning to give the Lord control over that and embrace the ripening of fruit, the, the power of the spirit of self-control. One of the beautiful things about thinking through this these last couple weeks is realizing that only God is pure spirit. Only God is pure spirit. God is pure spirit, unbodily power. We have a small element of spirit within us, the given spirit we've been given. It must be reached, it must be trained. Listen to the words of Scripture. I'm going to read to you from Mark, the seventh chapter, verse 21. For from within, out of the heart of the man, comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, and murder. Jesus is teaching here. Again in John 4.23. But the hour is coming when Jesus, Jesus is teaching here. The hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him from the depths of within internally. People who are learning to submit their lives to him. One of the things I want to be very careful with this morning is I'm speaking an awful lot about the human effort here, but I'm also trying to hold it in tension with the, with the concept of spirit. And I want to emphasize a point that grace, all of us have been given grace. Embrace it, soak it, live in the truth of it. But grace is not opposed to human effort. And that our lives, as we live out our worshipers and people who worship him in spirit, are learning are learning to hand our lives over to the Lord every day. Grace is not opposed to effort. Listen to the words from Isaiah, the 66th chapter. All these things my hand has made, and so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one to whom I will look, he who is humble, contrite in spirit, and trembles at my word. A few weeks back, I sat in the pews where you sit and listened to Mr. Abbott speak on um, 1 Peter 3. And I was going back and reflecting on that passage. In the illustration that, that he identified, and this is the passage that speaks to, to women and sometimes women being silent, which kind of can be a, a difficult topic to preach on. The truth of the, and the, one of the beautiful parts of that passage is it's calling for all humanity to be people of silence and drawn into the depths. And in that chapter, in that section, the, um, Peter is teaching us about Sarah. And Sarah, who was evidently, as the scriptures indicate, dealing with some dimension of fear, as she was drawn into the depths of intimacy with her Lord and paying attention to her internal development and her internal maturity, that she wasn't governed by fear. Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children if you, do, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. That as she walked intimately with the Lord, she began to unshackle herself from being governed by fear and be governed by our Lord. Our body, our focal point of presence in this physical world, the physical expression of our internal realities, the connection point with physical realities, our bodies are the product of being trained. You know, some people, Oscar Wilde would say, um, by 40, we're all given the face that we deserve. If we're governed by people of being anxiousness. The Lord came even to save our bodies. The Olympics these last few weeks have been an incredible example of being trained how to drive. How being, 
when we submit our lives to the Lord, or for the Olympians to submit their lives to this incredible training, the feats and the capabilities of what the human's capable of, in the same way we learn to submit our bodies. We're told in the book of Galatians, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But at the same time, the amazing capacity of the human body can be transformed to become more and more and more like Christ. For me, I grew up in the church. And as I've grown and matured, I've discovered something. I, was, I struggle a little bit with how I was raised. I was raised in the church. The body is just full and inherently evil. But as I've journeyed and walked I've come to a place where I know that the body is not essentially evil. My body is infected with evil, but it is full of the opportunity for transformation. It begins internally with the will and in the mind and the feelings, and it begins to permeate every part of who we are. This morning, I'm here to celebrate even the redemption of our bodies. And believe me, when you work with teenagers, you hang on to verses like this. Can you hear Paul in, in the 12th chapter of Romans? He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. Don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Test it so you may discern the will of God, what is good and acceptable as you make decisions. A spiritual discipline, perhaps, as you think and pray and sit, maybe this week spending time in Romans 12, reading it, and then thinking over the entirety of your body. Lord, today did I present my hands to you. Did my eyes look at what they should have, Father? I present my eyes as a living sacrifice, my hands, my legs, my feet. Jesus came to save the social. The social part of who we are, man to man, all of us generally are in relationship. The church is an embodiment of that gift that we've been given. The ultimate social construct for you and I is between you and I and our Savior, God. That is the ultimate social reality. We're told in John 1, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For who, do not love his, who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he's not seen. Our relationship with God should define every other relationship. God came to redeem it and rescue it. Think of the power of rejection for us as social beings. We even, Finnish Christian, teach within our own psychology classes that little babies if they're not first engaged and affirmed by their, by their mother and their, or even their father, little guys will struggle their entire life struggling with trust or mistrust. A baby must bond with its mother. For us to be people of individual and isolation is like a sword being thrust into our soul. One weekend to shut down two years ago, I shared with you that one of our students attempted suicide. Last year, the second weekend, one of our, both of them autistic our second student completed suicide. We had a chance to meet personally with, with, with Governor Ducey and with Dr. Christ and say we appreciate and respect and admire and are here to support your conviction for the physical well-being of our students, but we'll also tell you this is taking a toll on their emotional well-being. We must be careful and we must be balanced. Isolation so, can be a sword thrust into our soul. The church, you and I, Christ's bride, gather together to remind each other the right living Christ is our head. He's our lead. We submit to the leading of his word and his spirit to live in relationship with each other. This relationship defines every other relationship. 
And then finally this morning, I want to speak to you regarding the soul. We're told in the 13th chapter of Matthew, then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father who has ears to hear, let him hear. Did you know that in eternity our souls are gonna shine? We're told in the scriptures we're gonna be like stars shining, reflecting the beauty and celebration of our Lord. The interconnectedness, all the dimensions of our being interacting with the social reality. The soul kind of holds all these dimensions that I've shared with you together. The psalmist writes in the 42nd chapter, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil with me? Hope in God, and I shall praise him. In Luke 12, there's another reference to the soul. The author writes, and I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for the years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. This morning I've been giving, again, giving you an image up here on the screen. And the whole while I've been trying to make the point of when we gather in church and we study the word and when we worship together and when we sing and we embrace spiritual disciplines and memorize his word, all of this is like an arrow moving to the very center of who we are, the will, right? Our decision maker. We decide what we're going to focus our minds upon and then our minds begin to impact what we do with our bodies and then we determine what we're going to do with our social relationships. My encouragement for your homes, for your students, for the people that you have contact with, even the own care of your own soul, that you embrace every opportunity for the spirit to move right to the center of who you are. And then the interplay of that is the arrow moving out. The arrow moving out then begins to inform our will, our mind, our social, our body, and begins to impact every dimension of who we are. In this illustration I've been giving you here, God is the head of the individual. But as we know, sometimes, for example, what would happen if we place the body at the head and the body begins to make all the decisions? This is part of the journey of what teenagers struggle with. This morning as we close, um, I just want to encourage you. You know, it's easy sometimes for me, I I hear people say, um, I just blew it. What God is pursuing in each of our lives, if, when my, my early years as a teacher, I struggled something awful with my temper. I'm a very passionate person and I didn't know what to do with it. And for those first few years for me as a teacher, I was a real hothead. And the beauty is what the Lord's done to me, it is a good thing to get older and allow the Spirit to speak and to change you. And this morning, I'm here to celebrate the truth is that the Lord of heaven is actively working in your and I's lives and we are people of redemption. We walk in parallel with the stories of the Old Testament where God came to rescue them from captivity in Egypt and deliver them into a promised land. All of us are walking in the same parallel story and we're being delivered from the internal struggles that you and I have. And Jesus wants us to enjoy the first tastes of heaven now and be people of redemption, restoration, renewal. And those are not just pretty words, those are real words and that's the conviction of my heart I want to share with you this morning. And one of the best things I can encourage you to do if you're looking just for a little application is to spend time alone with our Lord. Stop and be alone with him. Dallas Willard would remind his students, you don't take a shower by getting a drop every five minutes. You spend time. 
and be showered in individual intimacy alone with our Lord and Savior. And let that reality define every other reality and let him transform you from the inside out. That's the work we're about at Phoenix Christian. That's the work we're about as a church. Let's pause and pray. So Father, this all belongs to you. Our souls, our heart, our mind, our will, our relationships, our feelings, rescue us. Take us where we would not take ourselves. And Father, may we be a people who celebrate you. Stories of Lazarus. Jews rescued from captivity. And may that be more than pretty words, but real words that we embrace and live into and embrace this morning. We give it all to you. We love you. Amen.